We're going to be talking about Jesus this morning. That's always a safe answer for us. If you're wondering what the answer is, it's ultimately always Jesus. And we are a church that finds our life and our strength in Jesus Christ. And as we walk with Him and learn to follow Him, we invite others to come and join us and know Him and walk with Him too. There are a lot of questions that we face in our lives every day. I don't know about you, but most of the questions that I deal with are not that significant. They may seem profound. There are questions like, what's for breakfast? Can I balance my checkbook today? When is this light going to turn green? How can I get my kids to behave? Are gas prices going to continue to rise? Can I last until my next vacation? Sometimes I feel like that. Not today. Can I last until lunch break? And then, what's for dinner? Those are the sort of questions that sometimes shape my life. And it's interesting to note just how the questions that we ask in our day and in our lives really shape what our lives are like. There is one question that is more important than any other question that we ever ask and ever wonder. It's a question that if we have it rightly answered, all the other questions fall into their right place and are are manageable and answerable. It's the question that really the Bible says is the most important question of all. And it's this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And thankfully, we're not left in the dark with that one. Really, ultimately, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is an explanation, is a presentation of who is Jesus. We're going to visit the Gospel of John today. And this Gospel was written just for this purpose, to know who is Jesus. And so we're going to jump into a number of verses going through the Gospel of John, that answer the question, who is Jesus? And we're going to hear that not just from John, the author of the Gospel, but Jesus Himself. We're going to look at the uh, eight of the statements that Jesus makes where He says, I am... But before we do that, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You that though we may be distracted by many other questions that are somewhat important, but not central. Lord, You press in on us the fundamental, the most important question, and You explain the answer to us through Your Word. And I pray, Lord God, as we go through Your Word now, that each one here will hear You speaking. Who is Jesus? We'll hear You calling them to respond to who Jesus is will experience Your voice speaking and revealing. So Lord, we ask You to do that and we ask You to do really what's miraculous because we, left to ourselves, cannot understand. and Certainly, I, left to myself, cannot present because of my weakness and sin. But Lord, You are gracious and merciful and You love us and we thank You. So come and be with us by the Spirit. Show us Jesus Christ, we pray, for your glory. Amen. Amen. You can turn to chapter 6 in John. 
verse 48. You can put that up on the overhead. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. It was a picnic to remember that day. A very large crowd had followed Jesus and He was in a remote area and they were there to hear Him teach and, and to experience His ministry. He was there teaching and praying for people. People were being healed. And, and as the day wore on, people got hungry. And the, the problem back then that we don't experience is that there was no place nearby to eat. There's no Walmart, no McDonald's, no Panera Bread, no Market Basket. No Starbucks even. Just grass? Yeah, that would be really tough, huh? That would be really hard to live life back then, I think, without Starbucks. Just grass and hills and a lake. And so, a boy, a young boy with five loaves of very simple barley bread and two fish came to Jesus. And in the hands of the One who made the universe, that was more than enough feed the 5,000. And he fed through multiplying those loaves and fishes over 5,000 people. And that was a wonderful miracle. The problem was what happened after that. The crowd was, was amazed by this miracle. And I think, I mean, that's understandable to be amazed by such a miracle. And they were so enthusiastic about what had happened that they wanted to come and make Jesus the King. They wanted Him to rule. And I think that makes sense. You and I would want to do the same thing. I mean, if you can have free food anytime you want through this guy, then why not make Him king? He's one guy that, one politician that would have kept all His promises. And so they wanted to make Him king and they pursued Him. And it's interesting to note Jesus' response to them when they come. They come and they want to make Him king. They want, to, they want Him to be their ruler. And I know if it were... I, who was there, I probably would say, yeah, sure, you know, when do I start? And I'd love to be your king. I mean, some aspect of being king I'd like and being able to do whatever I want, whenever I want, I guess, but then there's all the responsibilities. But Jesus didn't respond that way. He confronted them. He said to them, do not labor for the food that perishes. Verse 27. But for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, the God the Father has set His seal. And then in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. Jesus was claiming to be a more significant and more important bread than bread itself. He said, I am the bread of life. If you eat this other bread, you're going to get hungry again. But if you eat the bread that is Me, you'll never hunger. You'll never thirst. They asked Him, what is this work that you tell us to labor to do? He's telling them to labor for the food that perishes. And He, he says, this is the work. It's to believe in the One whom God has sent. To believe in Christ. The work the Father is calling you to is to believe in Christ. To receive the bread of life. Through faith, we eat literal bread with our mouths. We receive Christ, the true bread, through faith. So Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He claimed to be the true bread, even better than regular bread, even better than Pantini bread. It's my wife's family's bread company. He is the true bread. He's the only essential bread. Freud 
said people are hungry for love. Jung said people are hungry for security. Adler said people are hungry for significance. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Chapter 8. There's another interaction going on. Some conflict, some discussion going on in chapter 8. And it says in verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. These are all really bold statements, aren't they? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. If somebody goes around saying this, we need to take note. Because these are not normal things to say. There's the idea that, that Jesus was just a good teacher, but a good teacher would not go around saying, I'm the bread of life. You don't want to go to school and have your teacher start saying those things. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. You're going to get out of that classroom as soon as you can and hightail it away from there. Because someone who says this is either crazy, thinking they are all these things when they're not. You can perhaps go down to Boston Common and find somebody who would assert these things. They're either crazy or they're a shyster trying to sell you something, a false religion to make money, and that, that goes on too. Or Jesus is, in fact, what He said He is. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, says it so well. He says, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so he said, I am the light of the world. I am the one who comes and dispels the darkness. I am the one who comes into a world full of darkness and confusion and stumbling and brokenness. I am the one who comes in and turns the light on so that life looks different. Where there was stumbling in the dark, I come in and I turn the light on so you can understand life and reality. It's a scary thing to live in the dark. The Bible portrays life apart from Christ as a life in the dark. And this truth, these truths apply to those who don't yet know Christ and those who do as well because He continues to operate this way and we need Him to continue to operate in our lives as the light of the world. It's a scary thing to be in the dark. This past week, uh, part of our team stayed at a house, an old farmhouse. And we told them little stories about the, uh, a man who lived in the, the farmhouse, tried to scare them, but there's really no man in there. But, and then they, they, at night they played sardines in the dark. And I know from hearing about it, it, there were some scary moments. Sardines is that game, it's reverse hide-and-go-seek, you guys know that? Where the one person hides and then the group has to find that person. And when they find that person, they hide with the person. And so the, when you play, you start with a large group, you're all looking for the person, and then eventually you... If you're the loser, you find that you're the last one and there's no one to be found. And in a dark house, that can be quite scary. And I know there were some scary moments in their time. Well, life is like that without Christ. 
It's bumping around in the dark. It's scary. It's confusing. We see our sin and our weakness. We can be gripped by things we can't get out of. And Jesus comes and says, I am the light of the world. He comes and turns the light on and shows us truth. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Verse 7. So again, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. And that's an interesting one. Someone saying they're a door. Jesus meant something very specific by it. He was speaking in that context about the sheep. And humanity is described in the Bible as sheep. And it's not a very flattering description. I've seen the Babe movie, and the sheep aren't real smart in that movie. And that's kind of what sheep are like. Sheep are dumb. Sheep get themselves in trouble really easily. Sheep follow the crowd. And when they get away from the crowd, they usually don't do too well. It's not like a, a sheep can be more successful by getting away from the flock. They're less successful. They get lost. They get, they get caught up in thorns. They get eaten. Um, they need to be with the crowd. and they just kind of, But they go right along with the crowd. They follow the crowd. That's what humanity is like. Sheep. And sorry for the unflattering description, but that's the description in the Bible. We're like sheep. And we wander here and there. And we get ourselves into trouble. And in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about this reality. And He says, All who came before Me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by Me, he will be saved and will go in and out to find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's saying, you guys are sheep. And there's false shepherds and false doors out there. There are thieves who come to steal, kill, and destroy. And they want to harm the sheep. But I am the door. And when you come to Me, I release you as sheep into green pastures. I release you into a place where there's peace and protection and security. And I give you life that's abundant and rich. Those other alternatives, all those other shepherds that assert themselves ultimately come to steal, kill, and destroy. They do not lead to green pastures, though it may seem like that at first. But Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way to a life of green pastures. I am a way, the way to a life of peace with God. We are all made for green pastures. Humanity is made to walk with God, to know God, to have a relationship with Him, to depend on Him. We are sheep. There's just no way out of it, and I'm sorry to say that, but it's just how it is. We're sheep. And sheep do not do well without a shepherd. And we need to be led to the right place. Jesus said, I am the door to true life. Shortly after that, in verse 11, He says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. He's the Good Shepherd. He takes care of the sheep. He watches over the sheep. He lays His life down for the sheep. He's not only the door, the way to green pastures, but He actually is the Shepherd who personally and intimately and faithfully 
leads the sheep. And He does that by laying His life down for the sheep. Back in 1943, on a winter day, 903 troops and four chaplains boarded the SS Dorchester during World War II and headed across the North Atlantic. On that boat, four chaplains, one of them, a Moody Bible Institute alumnus, George Fox. And at 12 in the morning, 12 midnight on February 3rd, a German U-boat fired a torpedo into the SS Dorchester. As the boat began to sink, the men went to the lifeboats and a young GI came to one of the chaplains and said, I've lost my life jacket. The chaplain said, take this. Gave the soldier his own life jacket. Before the ship sank, each chaplain gave up his own life jacket to another man. And then the four chaplains linked their arms together and lifted their voices in prayer as the Dorchester went down. Lieutenant Fox and his fellow chaplains were awarded the Distinguished Service Cross for laying their life, their lives down for those other soldiers. In a similar way but more profound way, Jesus the Good Shepherd has laid His life down for you, for us. You see, there's a torpedo that's been fired at our ship. And the ship is going down. And that torpedo is the torpedo of sin. The Bible calls it sin. Sin is the illogical, unreasonable, yet persistent resolve that we have to make ourselves the center of the universe. It's ridiculous. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense. If we stop and think about it, we'll never really agree with it. But we live that way. Sin is this orientation and the action of living out a life with ourself at the center. And not just at the center, but with a life displacing God from the center. It's this crazy disposition and action we have of usurping God from His rightful place. Only God deserves to be the center of the universe. Only God can handle being the center of the universe. Only God deserves and can handle being the center of your life and my life. Only God. And sin is the crazy, illogical pursuit of the alternative. It's destructive. It's foolish. It's nonsense to do it. And the result, in essence of it, is to not love God and not love others truly, but to love ourselves first and foremost. And this torpedo of sin is in all our lives and it's been fired at the ship and the ship's going down because the wages of sin is death. To sin, to reject God's ways, to to live with ourselves at the center of the universe will result in a life separated from the true One who should be the center of the universe in a foolish and eternal state of separation from Him and loneliness and darkness and just punishment. So the ship's going down. And Christ, like the chaplains, has laid His life down 
for us. The story of the cross, the story of the Gospel, is the true story of Jesus coming to lay His life down for us. To deal with this problem of sin. To lay His life down. To live the perfect life. To please the Father in every way. To die on the cross and to bear our sins. To take that upon Himself. To take the torpedo hit, to use the story, Himself. And to suffer the just punishment of God. To die the death that we deserve to die, that we might live the life that He deserves to live. He's the Good Shepherd. He's laid down His life for the sheep. He's laid down His life for the sheep that they might be forgiven. Be granted total forgiveness and eternal life with Him. To be sheep that walk with Him. And to hear His voice. And know Him. And He's calling us to be His sheep to follow. He is the Good Shepherd. John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. It's a wonderful story where Jesus has come to Mary and Martha and Bethany. His friends, His dear friends, and their brother Lazarus has died. He's succumbed to a sudden sickness and he's died. And he comes into the village and and Mary and Martha are there and and they come to him. And they say to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is Martha. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So Martha says, I know. I'm a well-taught Jew. I understand the resurrection on the last day is going to come and, and he will rise. She's answering well. She understands. She has hope. But notice Jesus' reply to her. He doesn't get into doctrine. He doesn't say, that's right. The, the final thing will be the resurrection from the dead and God will judge and And he doesn't get into that. What does he say to the woman? What does he say to Martha? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We don't follow a system We don't follow an assembly of doctrine as important as that may be. Ultimately, all those things point to a person. Jesus Christ. And that's whom we follow. That's where our hope is. That's the central part of our faith. Jesus Christ. He is. He is the resurrection and the life. And our faith is focused on Him. He is the resurrection and the life. Two years ago, my, my father-in-law died. First grandparent, first parent for our family. And uh, he was a wonderful man, a blessing to his family, uh, 
a servant in the community and actually located the factory, Fantini Bacon Factory. He had an opportunity to locate it by 495 in a, in a park. It would have been more convenient for the business and probably more profitable. He chose to put it in the middle of Haverhill so that people who needed jobs could get to that place to work. That's the sort of man he was. And we have so many memories of time with him on the beach and holidays. Just fun time. Lots of malapropisms, funny sayings, and laughter. And it was very difficult to watch him wither away with dementia and die over seven years, I think it was. But one thing that is wonderful about all that is that Bob placed his faith in the resurrection and the life. He placed his faith in Christ. And I know because of that, because of the sure promise that Jesus Himself is the resurrection and the life, that not only is Bob with the Lord right now, but there will be a day when Christ comes back very soon. And Bob will be raised from the dead with a new body. He'll come back with the Lord. And maybe we'll be here when that happens and we'll get to greet the Lord and greet Him with the Lord. But that's going to happen for sure. And if I understand my Bible right, that our times in the past that were fun and good and blessed, times at the beach, times as a family, are only going to be a shadow compared to what awaits. So Jesus comes. He is the resurrection and the life. He comes to raise us from the dead, to rescue us from a life of sin. This is not as good as it is how it's supposed to be. We die. We all die eventually. And we all have this sense when there's a death, there's just something wrong. It's not supposed to be this way. Life is too precious. The loss of someone made in God's image just doesn't make sense. And it shouldn't. And so Christ came to live and to die and to rise again and to be the resurrection and the life that all who believe in Him, though they yet die, they shall live. He is the resurrection and the life. He is our hope. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to His disciples and He's speaking to them about His imminent death and departure from them. Bodily, at least. He's encouraging them and He's telling them that they already know the way to God. They already know the way to God. Not, don't be discouraged. I'm going to leave you. And he explains what they're to do and so forth. And he says, you know the way to God. And then Thomas, who is probably just the guy that is the most honest in the group, says what he thinks. Says what the other guys may not say out loud. He says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And it's interesting again to notice how Jesus answers that. He doesn't give an explanation. He doesn't say, do this and do that and understand these truths. And certainly there's truths to understand about Jesus. I'm not trying to deny that. But, but he doesn't, that's not the, the, the tactic he takes. He doesn't talk theory. He answers again so profoundly, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. 
I'm the way, Thomas. Me, your friend, your God who's been here. I am the way. Boy, there's so many ways out there. And our age is just full of so many ways. There are so many ideas. There are so many directions that are out there for us. And you can go to the local Borders store and find just book after book on different ways and different truths and different ways to live. And the Internet is just full. It goes on and on. We are inundated with ways and ideas of living. This past week, one of the things we did in seeking to serve the community is we went out and distributed uh, door hangers with just a place to put a prayer request. There were no strings attached. They didn't have to put any information. They just give us a prayer request. We just wanted to serve and bless people and trust that God would, would, would love them, pour out His love on them through that. And, and we got a mild amount of responses. Not that many. And I somewhat expected that. And I think one of the main reasons we got that is because there's just so many alternatives out there that people just shut you off. Even something that comes, it's bright green, it's you know, worded nicely, I think. It's no strings attached. Here, I mean, we're not asking. Believe us, we're not trying to sell you anything. Just, but not that many people did it. And I think it was for the same reason that I probably wouldn't respond, is that there's just so many ideas out there. There's so many people presenting different ways to live. But something about all those other ideas is they're all saying, this is the way to live. This is the secret to the universe. This is the truth. This is the idea. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus uniquely and profoundly and boldly says, I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Me. There's no other way, ultimately. There may be merit in different ideas, but there's no other way to the Father, to true life, except through Jesus. And He said, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and life. He is the way. And Christianity is not a method. Christianity is not even a religion, technically. Christianity is a relationship with a person who is the way, the truth, and the life. And He calls us to follow Him. Just a couple more sections to look at. John chapter 15. This is near the end of Jesus' ministry. And He's shortly after John 14, obviously. He's talking to His disciples and, and getting ready to leave them. And He's commissioning them. He's explaining what they're to do, how they're to live. He's getting them ready. And He says in John 15, Verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from Me you can do nothing. I am the vine. You are the branches. Jesus presents Himself to the disciples as the key relationship in their lives. The key relationship in their lives. I am the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches to the vine. That's our relationship here, guys. I am that vine and you are the branch and you need to be attached to me to bear fruit. No branch bears fruit if it's not attached to the vine. 
I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. Guys, if you want to have a fruitful life, if you want to walk with Me, if you want to fulfill the commission I'm going to give you, Jesus is saying, you need to be attached to the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man abides in Me, if he stays attached to Me, he will bear much fruit. Jesus is saying our relationship with Him is the most important relationship in all of life. More important than your relationship with your family. More important than your relationship with workmates or supervisors. More important even than your relationship with your spouse. Jesus is most important and most essential. He is the vine. We are the branches. We have some tall trees in our backyard. And my favorite of all the trees that we have, um, we've cut down some trees too, but so I don't just love trees in general, but I love the trees in our yard. And then my favorite of all the trees in our yard is this shagbark hickory tree. Big, tall tree. You guys, many of you have seen that tree. It's got that shaggy bark on it. And I just... I enjoy sitting there watching the squirrels run up the tree and run down the tree and watch the birds peck around the bark for bugs. And It's a great tree. Big majestic tree. It has those, those hickory nuts that come off in the fall. Well, in a windstorm, one of the branches in the hickory tree high up broke off. And it was during the summer and it was full of green leaves. And it broke off and it ended up hanging there. Caught on, I guess, its own branch or another branch. And it just was dangling there. And at first, it looked great. There was no reason to take it down. In some ways, it was stuck there. It looked great. It fit in with the rest of the tree. It looked like a branch. It was green, bearing, bearing green leaves. But soon, the leaves started to wither and dry up. And there were brown leaves left on that branch hanging there. Eventually, those brown leaves even fell off. And then the bark started to, I guess, rot and come off. And after maybe, I don't know, a year or so, it was just this ugly stick hanging off the side of the hickory tree. No longer beautiful in any way. Eventually, I think, I think another windstorm and it got blown down. Well, I think that's a picture for us to learn from. You see, we cannot be fruitful if we're not attached to the tree. It's not enough just to hang around the tree it's not enough just to be around the church. It's not enough just to be around Christians. As good as that might be, we need to be plugged in to the tree. We need to be plugged into a relationship with the One who is the vine. We are the branches. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. We won't stay green. We won't be fruitful. We'll dry up. We'll wither. And eventually, we won't look anything like the tree. We won't look like Jesus. We'll look like something else. One more I am that Jesus said. That's the most important of all. John chapter 8. You can flip back to that. It's the most important I am in the book of John. And this is another conflict, a discussion he's having. It actually is more of like a conflict he's having with the religious authorities. And they're doubting his assertions. They're claiming that he's, uh, he has a demon and he's just crazy. And he's dialoguing with them. And he says in verse 56 about himself, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And that wasn't very helpful for these guys to hear. Because here is Jesus, who they think is just a man, 
And therefore, if he's just a man, you're left with those other two conclusions, right? He's either a shyster or a lunatic. And they think he's probably both. He says before, your father Abraham, so their father, the father of, of all the Jews and, and, and more than that, who had lived 2,000 years earlier, he's saying, he saw me and he rejoiced that this day was coming. And so at this point, they think Jesus is just a nut. An arrogant nut to say that he knew Abraham. And, and it's interesting, rather than at this point say, well, guys, you know, you get understanding and go into explanations. He doesn't say that. They say, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? And he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, it says that as a result, they picked up stones to throw at him. Now, in that culture, that's how you executed people. That's how you got rid of blasphemers. They were commanded people that would blaspheme were to be, set, were, were to be punished by stoning, to be put to death. So it doesn't mean that they were merely angry and they wanted to shoo him away with stones. They wanted to execute him. They were furious with his assertion. Why? I mean, he's just a crazy guy who thinks he's lived a long time. No, that's not what he was saying. There was much more to it than asserting that he had lived a long time. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And there's only one other person in the Bible who talks like that. In the book of Exodus, Moses comes and there's a burning bush that's not being consumed. And he comes and he talks to this burning bush. It's God. The, the sovereign of the universe, the creator, the God of his people, speaking in the bush. And, and Moses talks to him and God commissions him. And then Moses says, when the people ask me who sent me, what should I say? And God says, I am who I am. God's name is I am. And that's where we get Jehovah, or better translated, Yahweh. It means I am. And there's no one else in Scripture called I am. So when Jesus answered the Pharisees, He said the worst thing for them to hear. He said, before Abraham was Yahweh. And that name was so sacred, they, they wouldn't say it. They wouldn't even write it. They would just write Lord or the name, or they would abbreviate it. And Jesus said, before Abraham was Yahweh, I am God. He made that claim. He claimed to be the eternal, almighty, all-glorious, sinless God. And that truth takes all the other things that we've said and puts them in a dramatic, amazing perspective. It puts all the things that you've heard about all your life, if you've grown up Christian, and puts them in a new perspective. You cannot say, been there, done that with this. This is God, the Son, asserting things that make all the difference. And so all these other I Am's must be taken with that in mind, that He is God. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is fully God. 
and therefore fully Lord, fully Savior, fully worthy to be followed. So I think the Gospel of John does a great job of answering that question, the most important question we could ever ask in our lives at any given moment, any day. The most important question we could ask is, who is Jesus? The most important thing we could remember at any given point in our whole lives is, who is Jesus? He is all these things. He is God. And we want to encourage you, wherever you are in the answering of that question, that we seek to help you in that journey. We are still discovering who He is. We've been convinced by this truth. But we're still understanding and grasping and growing in the implications in our lives and the application in our lives of who is Jesus. Really, that's our journey. Understanding. And you know what? It's never going to finish. We're going to know more and more. We're going to be blown away more and more. And eternity will be filled with the joy of comprehending who Jesus is more and more and worshiping Him more gladly and more fully. So you are very welcome to journey with us. And for those of you who don't have a Bible, we have Bibles for you to give to you for free, free New Testaments at the back, and also just invite you to come and be with us and learn as we worship each Sunday, as we explore who Jesus is each Sunday. I'd be glad to talk with you if you have any questions. Uh, And then also in the fall, we'll be running the Alpha program, and that's really ultimately what the Alpha program is about, is presenting who is Jesus. The most important question, the most wonderful answer we could ever receive. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank You that You unequivocally have made Yourself known in the Scriptures. Our greatest need is to know You. Our greatest need is to know who You are. And I pray, Lord God, for us today as we go about our day and all the different things we have to do. They might be very light and trivial. They might be significant things. We might be facing major sickness and death perhaps. We might just be wondering when I'm going to get lunch. But Lord, I pray that the reality of who You are will invade our days. And Lord, we might ask the question, who is Jesus? And hear that answer and have our day changed. We just thank You, Lord, that You've made Yourself known. We pray continue to do that in our lives and through our lives, Lord. We love You. We bless You. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.
us the grace to walk with Him always, to make Him a great delight, bringing worship with our lives. Only Jesus, only Jesus, give us Jesus, we Spirit of grace, you've shed your light upon a darkened night, unveiling Jesus Christ. Come change our hearts, conform. Honor Jesus' name, His glory our refrain. Let His love compel our own as we worship at His throne. Only Jesus, only Jesus, give us You are all these things, Lord. You are more than enough for whatever we would ever need, Lord. You are God and you are the bread of life, the resurrection and the life. You are the good shepherd. You are all these things. We thank you. We give you glory, O God. And may the Lord bless you this week and the wonderful, amazing truth that Jesus is the great I am. Lord bless you. Have a great week and come and join us at our picnic. God bless. Have a great day.